Awesome. All right. Good stuff. Turn, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6. We keep uh, pressing into this series called Stewarding the Kingdom. The Lord is teaching us how to be good stewards, or if you don't know that word, if it's a little bit of an old word for you, managers, managers of the things that God has given us. We're learning that everything belongs to the Lord, and for us who have given our lives to Jesus and made Him our Lord, all of our lives are under His authority in His kingdom, and we're called to steward those things for His glory. And there's a lot of wisdom, you know? You might think, well, how do, how do, I, how do I steward my money? How do I see blessing in my marriage? Or how do I get married? No, you know, all these things that we want to know how to steward. We want to know how to be wise. We want to see blessing in our life. But rather than it being, hey, God, I'm going to do these little principles here and get, get, get things done my way. Rather, the Lord is inviting us to submit to his leadership, learn from his wisdom. And as we walk in his ways, the blessing of God will flow. But we need to steward or manage the things that he's given us. All of our time, all of our relationships, all of our money, it all belongs to Him. Amen? Amen. And the Lord is showing us how to walk with Him as Lord. And so if you look with me right there in Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 46, it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus simply asked this question of us. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? And He goes on the next verse, He says, whoever comes to me, hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. And then he goes on and he tells the story of a man whose life is founded on the rock and when storms come, that house, because that man's house, that man's life is founded on the rock, it can't be shaken. He's teaching us to how, to, how to have a blessed, an unshakable life, but he says it's through making him our Lord and doing what? Coming to him, hearing his teachings, Right? living our life based upon the truth of His Word, by the leadership of His Holy Spirit, and then doing what He says. Amen? So we've seen, hey, well, we need to be faithful stewards of His stuff. We need to cultivate. Just like if you had a garden, you have to plant and weed and water and harvest and all that. Well, same thing with your finances, with your marriage. If you just let it go, it causes problems. It doesn't bring God glory. It doesn't bring blessing to you. We're learning we need to hear what the Lord's saying, and we need to do what He says. We need to implement these, these things. As, I was, as I've been doing this series, the Lord's been doing things in my heart, and the Lord's been speaking to me about our church. Now, I, there's a lot of things that we could talk about. Oh, we could talk about money a lot more than we have. We've given a few principles. We could talk about how to be diligent with our time more. We've done that a little. We've talked a little bit about relationships. Not, not a lot. I mean, we could talk about marriage. We could do a whole series on marriage, a whole series on relationships, and maybe one day, you know, Lord will have us do that, but we've just hit on some of these principles of how to steward relationships, how to steward time or money. And, um, you know, we could talk about stewarding our own physical body. This tent is from the Lord, right? And there's principles in the Word of God of how to take care of what God has given to us, even our own health. So we could talk about all those things. And I, and I wanted to, and, I, and maybe we will, but Lord spoke to me a couple months ago even, and he said, make sure you talk about how to steward relationship with me, he said, with God. I said, okay, amen, thank you, Lord. But then I said, wait a minute, I said, isn't that what we talk about all the time, God? I mean, isn't this whole point 
Isn't that the whole point of this thing? You know, we talked about hearing the Lord, being led by the Spirit. Isn't that? I even, you know, I kind of came to the Lord and I said, wait, 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 hold on a second, hold on a second. Amen. I know we got to steward our relationship with you. I began to think about it. Think about it with me for a second. Stewarding a relationship with God. Is it like stewarding other relationships? Maybe, right? Spending time with another person cultivates intimacy with that person, right? You can't really know them unless you talk and communicate and such. You've got to spend time with the Lord. You say, well, Dave, you, got, you talk about that all the time. You know? I do. <laughs> they say, Lord, I talk about that all the time. But see, is that, is that it? Is, is stewarding a relationship with another human being just about spending time with them? It's not, is it? There's more to it than that, isn't there? And, and then even you say, well, Dave, you talked about love and faithfulness a couple weeks ago. You said in order to get favor with God and man, you've got to walk in love and faithfulness. So there it is, right there. You walk in love and faith. Love God, you know. And there it is. You get favor with God. I said, yeah, that's what I thought. I said, Lord, I talked about that. But, right, okay, right. So, so, so in some aspects, your relation with God is like a relation with other people in the sense that you spend time with other people, right? You build trust with other people. And, uh, uh, and you spend time with God, and you, and you, you love God, and, and such, right? And, and it's like a relationship with other people. In fact, we often will make parallel connections, right? You'll say, oh, well, our relationship with God, it's like if you were married, or well, it's like if you had a friend, or something like that, right? So we even make connections between our relationship with God and relationship with people. And, and of course, that makes sense, because we're made in His image and all that. But isn't a relationship with God, the creator, isn't it completely different than a relationship with any other person ever? Isn't there something completely and utterly unique about a relationship with God that you cannot in, on some level compare with anyone else? Yes? You say, well, God's our dad. Amen. He really is. That's not just a metaphor. Christ Jesus, he's our, he's our husband and our friend and all that. Oh, that's good stuff, right? Yes. So there's a lot of principles about stewarding a relationship with God that we could take just from just any kind of relationship. But there is something about stewarding a relationship with God that is completely different that you cannot do with any other relationship. In fact, if you do, that's the problem. What is that? Look with me. You just got to turn a few chapters over to Luke chapter 9. Did you notice in Luke chapter 6, and we've been pushing on this for months, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Jesus is implying something about himself that is completely unique to, to his relationship with you. He's not just a rabbi. He's not just a friend. He's not just offering you some nice principles or an option. Option A, option B. He is suggesting that he is Lord and Master. That he is the creator and the redeemer. That he's not just a savior. That he's not just coming to forgive us of sin and give us eternal life, although he is doing that. And he's not just coming to bless us, although he really likes to bless us. Because he loves us. But he is coming to deliver us from something much more problematic than just trials in life or sin. What? He's trying to establish something between us and him that cannot be like any other relationship. 
And he is saying, I'm Lord. And then he's inviting us to live that out by doing what? Come to me. You're my sayings. And do them. He's putting himself on a level in which no one else gets to be on that level. Amen? So he says in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23, Then he said to them all, all of his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his fathers and of the holy angels. Make sure you don't, under, don't misunderstand. Thanks, babe, for the water. Stole her water. Oh, that's good. Who put lemon in that? Deanna. Oh, cucumber. Yeah, that's good stuff. Thanks. Don't misunderstand something. The Lord loves you. He is so patient with us. He came... He says not to be served, but to serve and lay down his life, give his life as a ransom for many, right? He has purchased you with his own blood. He has forgiven you of every sin. He comes to those who are his disciples, though. He comes to those who are his disciples. Those who desire to come after him, right? It says there, if anyone desires to come after me. He's not even at this moment talking to those who have never heard his word, or who don't care to come and visit him or learn from him. Does that make sense? He's not speaking these things because he doesn't like you or doesn't want the best for you. No, the opposite. He's coming and he's saying these things because he knows what you and I need. He knows what you and I were created for. And he's coming and he's saying to you, do you want to come after me? Do you want to be my disciple? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, Jesus. Do you want to know me? And love me? Do you want to experience the blessing, the life, the power, the eternal life? All these things that I have promised. Remember, he's been preaching and demonstrating the kingdom, right? Preaching, teaching, and healing. Teaching, preaching, and healing. These people are hearing the word of God, and they're hungry for God. They're like, hmm. In fact, Peter's like, man, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. Peter says, you have the words of eternal life. Where else can we go? And he says to these disciples, he says, do you, do you want to come after me? And they say, yes, 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 yes. And he says to them this. Then you need to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. He says, if you want to save your life, if you go after the blessings and you go after what you think is life, and you go after your comfort, and you go after your pleasure, and you go after your goals, and your ambition, and your desires, and your money, and your kingdom, and your ambitions, and you, you, your, your. He says, if you do that, you will lose everything. Right? Oh, he's telling you this because he loves you. He says, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. You will destroy your life. Not just in this age, but forever. You'll miss it completely. You miss what you were created for. You miss eternal life. You'll miss me. 
But he says, well, whoever loses his life, loses, loses, loses. Who likes to lose? You play Monopoly and you're like purposely going to lose? Maybe with your five-year-old. But when he's eight, you beat him. Yeah, see, you guys know what I'm talking about. And then if it's mad and we, he beats you. I don't, pl- I'm like, I'm not playing the video games. He's already better. All right. Who likes to lose? Nobody likes to lose. Purposely, purposely lose all your money. Purposely lose your life. Purposely. What? Crazy. You're crazy. Jesus says, unless you lose your life, you cannot find it. Why? Why? Because he says, when you lose your life, he says, when you lose your life for my sake, you will save it. What happens? See, when you lose your life, you find Jesus. And when you find Jesus, you find life. Everything that you and I were created for is found in him. He is life. You were made in the image of God. You were created. The Bible says everything was made by and for Jesus. He's not just the Savior. He is absolutely the creator, the son of the living God, for whom all things were made. You can only find your identity, who you are, your destiny. You can only find blessing, life, in him. And Jesus says, you have to lose everything to gain me. And when you gain me, you gain life. No one else gets to talk like this. No other human being gets to ask you for that. No other relationship is like this. Oh yeah, your marriage is an exclusive, lifelong covenant in this age. But it's still temporal. Not to say you're not going to know and love your spouse. I'm just saying, there's only one who is creator. There's only one who is Lord. And there's only one whose love is so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. The gift is so great, the response is equally great. He has the right to ask us for everything, does he not? He has the only one who can ask you and me to lose our life and give everything for him. Nobody else has the right to ask us of this, ask this of us. No one. No one else. This is huge, isn't it? There's no other relationship in all of the universe and in all of eternity like this one. And you cannot have a relationship with God based on anything else. If he is not number one, if he is not first, if you have not lost everything for him, Jesus said, you can't be my disciple. You have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross and follow me and lose everything in order for you and me to be in a relationship. That's huge, isn't it? You can't have other lovers. You can't have other people or other things on the side. You can't have backup plans. You have to lay it all down, he says. You see what I'm saying? You catch this? Listen listen to this. Mark chapter 12, Just, just listen. So then one of the scribes came, and having heard Jesus and the other religious leaders reasoning, he, he, this scribe, perceiving that Jesus had answered them well, asked Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? The first commandment of all. The first one. First. And Jesus answered in verse 29 of Mark 12, the first 
the first of all commands, commandments, is, quotes from Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first command. This is the first commandment. Do you notice that the next thing he says is what the second commandment is? But do you know that it's the second commandment? It's not the first. There are not two first commandments. Did you see that? He said, oh, and the second is like it. And he doesn't say, and go ahead and make sure you love people with all your heart. He doesn't say that. Do you want to know why? Because there's only one who gets all your heart. There is only one first commandment. The first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And Jesus is saying, nobody else gets all of you but God. There is no other first commandment. There is no other who gets first place. There is no other who gets to be Lord, who gets to be God. There is no other who gets all of you. And if somebody or something else has a part of you, then you've broken the first commandment, is what he's saying. He says the second commandment is like it. The second commandment is like it. Meaning, well, now that you love God, that you take that and you go and you love people as yourself. John explains it in, in, in 1 John. Let me paraphrase it my way. We love people because we love God. And we love God because he first loved us. That's what 1 John chapter 4 and a bunch of verses in there say. Say, say. See, we didn't love God. He says we didn't love God. He first loved us and gave himself for us. Gave his son as atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then it says, if God so loved us, let us also love others in that same way. We love people because we love God. And we love God because he first loved us. See, so if you have a hard time loving God with all your heart, first thing you got to do is get a revelation of his love for you, that he loves you and died for you. Amen? That's what's hindering a lot of people. But his love is so amazing, his sacrifice so sufficient, that any other response to him than all of us is not sufficient. He's worthy. He's worthy of all of our hearts. He's worthy of all of our lives. And he's worthy of it because he's the only one who loves you with perfect love. He's the only one who created you and made you. He's the only one who knows who you really are. He's the only one who can meet your needs, truly. He's the only one who is eternal life. He's the only one who is the redeemer. He is the only one who can forgive your sins, yes? Oh, that makes him worth it all, yes? Because when you lose everything for him, you find him. And when you find him, you find life. You find what you were made for. You find what he wants to give you. Let's look at Luke 14. These are some of those verses that people want to apologize to others for their Savior about. They say, oh, sorry. Sorry that Jesus said that. Um, he, didn't, he didn't mean it like that. Um, he meant something else. Uh, sorry, I know I'm a follower of Jesus, but sorry, he, did, he, he said that. Look at this, in Luke chapter 14, he does say this. 
Verse 25, Luke 14. Now great multitudes went with him, and he, referring to Jesus, turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children, well, dude, you're taking a little too far there, and brothers and sisters, and yes, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. It's a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. Oh, well, but he didn't, he didn't, he, he didn't really mean that. I mean, he kind of, you know, he didn't mean that. He, sorry. So what he really means is, unless you hate your own wife, children, mother, father, brother, sister, and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. That is what he said. Sit on it for a little bit. He really means it. What does he mean? Notice what he says. He defines it a little bit later after talking about counting the cost. I won't go into that. Verse 33. So likewise, whoever does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. How much do you have to forsake to be his disciple? All or everything. Open book test. It's a non-negotiable. This is not something you get to debate with Jesus on. This is not something you get to say, well, but can I? Oh, but can we? Oh, but... uh, Do you remember people tried to debate with Jesus? Do you remember that? Do you remember people tried to debate with Jesus? Remember that? Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord... I will follow you wherever you go. In verse 58, Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 59, then he said to another, Jesus says to a person, follow me. You remember that he would say that to Peter, James, and John, and he said it to Andrew, and he said it to Matthew, and they followed him. And doesn't the Bible say they left everything to follow him? They They left their nets? Listen to this guy. But he said, Lord, let me first... Go and bury my father. Let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said in verse 60, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. Another one said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid farewell who are at my house. Let me first go. Let me first go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. In verse 67, or 62, Jesus says, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. What is Jesus saying? No one else gets first place. You cannot compromise with Jesus. You cannot negotiate. You cannot say to him, Well, can I, can I be saved on my terms? I'd like you to be my Savior, but not my Lord. I, I would like to follow you, but could I not actually go with you where you're going? Or, or I'd like to follow you, but first I need to do a few other things first. He says, he says, no, I am first. He's the only one who gets to say things like that. He's the only one who gets to say, if anyone or anything is before me, 
It has to go down. That's what he's saying when he says you have to hate even your own life. You have to hate your wife, your children. Now, Obviously, if you put that verse in context, you have to hate your wife before you can love her. Think about that. You have to hate your children before you can love them. Uh, Jesus obviously isn't telling us to not love people as he loves them, right? That's the second greatest commandment. But it is what? The second commandment, not the first. Catch what's happening here? It's the second. Meaning, even if the second commandment gets first, it becomes idolatry. And it has to go down. You have to actually, if any other thing or any other person, any other human being, because they're not God, goes into first place, meaning that your allegiance is to them. There are many people they can't fully surrender to Jesus because of their family members. In fact, I know people who compromise with Jesus because of their girlfriend or their boyfriend. It's like, they're just a boyfriend. They may not even be there tomorrow. And you're putting them before Jesus. Oh, not smart. Actually kind of, uh, right? Come on, let's think here about that. Just think for a second here. We're not talking about condemnation, dumb religious rules. No, we're talking about who is worthy of your heart. Think about that for a second. Why do people cohabit? Why are we impatient in our relationships with other people? Why do people get divorced? Because they love their own lives. Amen? Amen. You have to hate your wife before you can love your wife. That's a crazy statement, isn't it? I did that to Kurt this, this week. I didn't even tell him the context, right? He walks in my office. I was actually meditating. I was listening to the Lord. And I said, Kurt, what, do you, what if you have to hate your wife before you can love your wife? And he was like, Whoa, you dealing with something? I said, no, I just wanted to test that one out on you. I just want to mess with you a little bit. But do you catch, you catch what's going on here? Think about it. Why do we struggle to love people? Because God's not first. You actually cannot love people the way Jesus calls us to. You can't really love people selflessly with his power unless you have first put them into second place, which is what he means by forsaking all and, and, and hating them. Meaning they, that, that they cannot have your devotion, your allegiance, your affections. He gets all of your heart. He gets all of your mind. He gets all of your life. And only the person who is fully surrendered to Jesus and has given all to Jesus can really do what he's called us to do. See, without fully surrendering to Jesus, 100%, not 99%, 100%, you can't experience his life and his blessings and his power. You can't. If you put 99 cents into a soda machine, you will not get the soda. You have to put 100 cents, right? You have to put a whole dollar. You have to put the dollar in, then you get the soda machine. Some of you have experienced this before. Some of you have given God every part of you, and you have seen, boom, the soda machine pop out, and a couple other bonuses, right? You've given your life to Jesus with all of your heart, and you've seen the blessing of God, and the power of God, and the life of God flow and transform things in your life. 
You've experienced, you've tasted and seen. Others of you, you're still sitting there saying, I don't know if this Jesus thing works. I put 99 cents in. I don't know if the Bible's true. He promised blessing. But as long as you've only given 99%, as long as you still reserve 1%, you're not going to see the soda. You won't see the life flowing in you. Think about what Jesus says. Hurry up, Dave. Matthew 6.33. Did I say that out loud? Just messing. Just messing. We're doing good. Matthew 6.33. Don't try to turn there. Just listen. Matthew 6.33. But seek first. What? Seek first. First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. What if you seek the kingdom second? You will not see all these things added unto you. Only when you give your all to Jesus does he promise blessing and provision. Only. Only. Oh, I know. Even if you're not fully there, he'll he'll take care of you because he's just good. But you don't get these promises without putting him first. 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 You want provision? You put him first. You seek the king of God and his righteous first. Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You need wisdom? You need direction? Who has to be first? God. You have to say, God, I want to please you. I want you. Because you see my heart. As long as you don't fear God, as long as he's second, as long as you don't love him with all your heart, it will skew every decision you make. Everything you do will be based upon something selfish, something of loving your own life. And it will skew everything. You have to actually hate your own life, meaning that his glory and his pleasure and his honor and his kingdom has to be more important than yours. Has to. Because guess what? There's only one kingdom that will last forever, and it's not yours. Only one kingdom that will last forever. There's only one king. Now he wants you to reign with him forever. He wants you to be, he wants you to be with him because he made you for this. But the problem with this world, not that there's a little bit of sin out there, it's that we have become our own gods and we've made everything else first and not him. He came to destroy our idols and to deliver us from this. See, so you can't say, oh, I'll take the forgiveness, but I don't want the lordship. You can't do that. It doesn't work that way. He's saying, come into my kingdom. Oh, when you come in, you get everything. But if you don't come in, you get nothing. That's what he's saying. 1 Peter chapter 4, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Do you still struggle with sin? Maybe it's not a sin problem, but a lordship problem. I'm not saying he doesn't love you. Oh, he loves you. He loves you. I'm saying, where's the power of God to make it so I am done with that sin? I am done with that lust of men. What is the, what is it? What's the one cent? What's the one cent? Because I no longer live for myself, but for the will of God. At the root of every bondage, at the root of struggles in our relationships, at the root of it is that we are self-seeking and we live for our flesh. And Jesus says, do you want freedom? Do you want life? Do you want blessing? You have to lose it all. 
You have to make the shift that I will live for the will of God. Period. You catch that? I'm just saying, this is what the word of God promises. The word of God promises life and blessing and wisdom and provision. Christ is saying this, that if he is your Lord, then he will take care of you. He becomes responsible for you when you give your all to him. Paul says it this way in Acts 20. Paul, you want to know why? Why was Paul so passionate? Why was Paul so motivated? Why was Paul so willing to preach the gospel all over the known world? Why do we look up to Paul so much? Or David or any of these people because they gave everything they are to him, yes? Listen to what Paul says in Acts 20, verse 24. But none of these things move me. He's, he knows he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's like, he's, I'm going to get in prison. I'll probably die. I mean, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He says, I know that something bad's going to happen. I'm going to be persecuted. And he says, it doesn't even move me at all. I mean, literally, he's either lying or he's telling the truth. He says, I'm not anxious. I'm not worried. I'm not trying to protect myself. He says, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may run, finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, even to fulfill your own ministry, you have to hate your own life. But notice he doesn't say, hey, I just want to fulfill my calling. He says, I want to finish my race with what? Joy. Why do we complain even when we serve the Lord? Because we still love our life. Isn't it true? Because we still love our comfort. And why is it that many people are not fulfilling the calling of God on their life? Because... They still love their life. They love their comfort. They love their pleasure. There are people, they can't even fast food or even media because they love those things more than they love Jesus. And you don't fast those things unless he tells you to. I'm just saying, there are people, they won't do it. They can't do it because he is first. I mean, say he's not first. Those things are first in their life. Oh, how sick that is, if you really think about it. Those things will burn those things will not last forever. I'm not saying it. you can't watch a show. Yeah, have a little fun. I don't care. I'm not saying that. I'm not trying to be all weird and legalistic. I'm saying some people cannot set that aside to say Jesus is more important because he's not to them. But those things will burn. Food is temporary. There's only one thing that is eternal. Amen? It is his kingdom and those who are in his kingdom. And that means that the souls of other people who are lost are more important than even my own life, amen? And Jesus says, if you don't lose everything for me, which means you're putting his kingdom and the preaching of the gospel first, he says, you won't get anything. You remember that rich man that said, oh, I keep all the commandments, I keep all the commandments, I'm a good guy, I love God. And Jesus says, you lack one thing, Mark 10, you lack one thing, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Oh, we say, oh, he would never ask me to do that. He asked that man because he was rich. I'm not rich. No, 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 no. No, we already know what he said. You have to forsake all. That was the man's one thing he was lacking. He hadn't forsaken all. Do you remember the disciples in Mark 10 then said to Jesus, hey, what about us? We left everything. I'm that way. Hey, what about me? I I I did that. I left everything. And he says, oh, you can be sure. The person who leaves everything for me in the gospel will receive a hundredfold blessing in this life. He's promising you, I'll take care of you. I will bless you beyond your ability if you'll give it all. But you don't see that kind of power, that kind of life without losing everything. See, listen to what Paul says here in Philippians 3. It's one of my favorite when he says, 
Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. He says, knowing Jesus is better than any other thing. It's the, it's the exceeding great thing. The, the, the excellence of knowledge of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. He says, I've lost everything. That was Paul's secret, if you will. Not really secret. He says, I, I'm motivated to preach the gospel. I can go through suffering. I can lose everything. I can be content in little or in much. I've, I've lost everything. Not because his ministry was number one, but because Jesus was number one. Do you know that even if your ministry, even if your ministry becomes in front of Jesus, he will become jealous. Remember in Revelation chapter three, I'm sorry, two, Revelation two, the Ephesian church, he, Jesus says to the Ephesian church, oh, I know you guys work hard. You guys are doing a great job. But I have one thing against you. You have lost your first love. First love. Who's that? Him. He's a jealous God. Even when ministry. Come on, think about it, right? If you're married, you know. Even if ministry or church or even the kids get between a husband and a wife. Jealousy regarding those things. How much more? With a relationship with God where he says, only I get the first place. Only I get the first place. I'm telling you, anytime your eyes begin to look to something else, like you begin to trust in something else, you begin to love something more than him. Even a good thing. God blesses you with a spouse. Or God blesses you with money. Or God blesses you with a home. Or a wonderful church family. And you begin to put your trust in those things. You begin to put your affection in those things. He will take you. you know, turn your head like my kids do, Right? Look at me. Why? Because they want my attention and my affection, right? He will take your head and he will turn. Say, no, I want to be first. I want to be first. This is, this is, this is it. You have to steward your relationship with God different than any other relationship. Oh, you can, you can have fellowship with other believers. It will help you in your relationship with God. You can pray and fast and study the word and meditate the word. These are all good things. Spend time with Jesus. All those things are true and good. They're ways to cultivate a relationship with God. Yes. But Jesus said of the religious people, their lips are near me, but their hearts are far from me. He wants our hearts. There's one thing that we have to cultivate in our relationship with God more than anything else above anyone else and different from anyone else and it's that he has to be first and have our whole hearts. He's the only one worthy of it. And when we lose everything for him, we find him and we find life. What happens when he blesses you? Pours out blessing. But then that gets tested. Oftentimes, and I I don't have time to develop this principle, but the Lord will test our hearts. And he'll test in the very area we've been blessed. There's a lot of examples. But for brevity's sake, you remember Job. The devil attacked Job. It wasn't God. 
But the Lord allowed there to be a testing. Do you remember what Satan said? Oh, he only fears you because you bless him and you protect him. What, what is Job saying? I mean, so what is Satan saying? He doesn't really love you with all his heart. He doesn't really fear you. You're not really first. He's just doing this to get something from you. Now, doesn't that happen? Think about it. You lose everything for Jesus. You follow him and he begins to lift you up. You humble yourself. He begins to lift you up. I know in my life that's the case. He begins to bless you, lift you up beyond your ability. And then what happens? Deuteronomy 8 says, hey, make sure when you're blessed that your heart doesn't get lifted up and you think, my power got this wealth for me. But it, the, uh, Deuteronomy says, don't forget the Lord, but remember and bless him. See, that's the test. Test is when you're blessed, do you give God the glory? But the test is also that in the midst of blessing, and maybe God says, I want you to do this or give this, or, God, or the enemy attacks, like Job. The question is, do you bless God or curse him? What I mean is, when everything is stripped away, do you love him with all of your heart? Or when those things are stripped away, do you curse God, complain? Does that not test whether he was always first? Do you catch what I'm saying? And it's interesting, Tom Ward came to me before the sermon and said, the word of the Lord is, if you'll bask in me, I will bask in you. And he said, and if you boast in me, I will boast in you. And Tom told me, it's like Job. It's like Job. Will you boast in your God? Will you bask in his love? When everything is gone, like Paul, my life is worth nothing that I might finish my race with joy. Even if I lose everything, Jesus, knowing him, is greater than any other thing. See, some of us, some of you here, you may have never surrendered to Christ. Oh, and the invitation is here today. You come and receive his forgiveness and make him Lord, and you find life in him today. Some of us, we have surrendered to the Lord. We have given our whole hearts to him. But there are areas of adjustments. Every one of us, all the time, right? This is, the, this is how you steward. That there are adjustments that need to be made. As you, you might start to put your eyes on money. You might start to put your trust in another person. You might start to love your own life. And become selfish in a particular area of, of, of your life that God has blessed you in. Or maybe you're going through a trial. And I'm telling you, for those of you who are going through a trial, I'm telling you, love God with all of your heart. Love him in the midst of that trial. Love him in the midst of delay and say, God, you get my whole heart. And there are some of you that you've never put that last cent in. I know. You're you're saying, I've always held back just a little. And the Lord is inviting you. He's been patient with you, but he's also relentless. He will keep bugging you until you give him all. See, so some of us, we've tasted and seen that he's good. We know that we should surrender all to him. And the Lord is inviting you to make some adjustments today. Amen? All right, Jen, lead us in response. Worship team or worship leader and prayer team's coming up. Wow, I don't know about you, but that was a, that was a powerful message spoke to some very specific areas of my heart. Um, 
by mere definition, a sacrifice should cost us something. Um, David even said in First Chronicles twenty one twenty four, he said, "I will not take what is yours. I will not offer a burnt offering that costs me nothing." Following the Lord is a sacrifice. Giving the Lord everything is a sacrifice because it does cost us something. But this is the same man who said, one thing I desire of the Lord, that I will seek him, that I will spend time with him. But if you think about David's journey, he had some up and downs with that, didn't he? He had moments in his life when he didn't give God everything. And then he had moments when he did. And those times that he didn't, God was still so forgiving and so patient. We can only sacrifice to the Lord if we do what Dave says, to soak in the love of God. If we don't understand who God is and what his heart is towards us, we can't make the sacrifice. So how do we view the Lord? Psalm 136 verse 12 says, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm. That's God. God isn't reaching to us with a fist. Sometimes we look at him this, th- that way and we're like, how can I sacrifice to a God who looks at me this way? But that's not him. His arm is outstretched. He desires to bless you. We sang that song that said, no place I'd rather be. We're there. We already have the love of God. We don't have to step into it. We already have it. Because this is God's heart towards you. His hand is outstretched. So our response needs to be, God, my arms are outstretched. I'm not going to hold on to my life. I'm not going to hold on to these things. Because when we hold on, we're not in a posture to receive. We're not in a posture to be blessed by the Lord. So if this is God towards you, if his arm is outstretched towards you, we can do no less than do the same back to him and say, Lord, I'm given my everything. And I trust that because I am in the love of God, that I can't do anything that will remove your love from me. I believe that you are patient and that you will get me to a place where it's not this for me, where it's open and closed, open and closed. Because this is God to you. Let's stand. And just in that act of saying, God, I'm going to give my everything. Even if you're not there yet. Even if for you, you're just at that point where you just need to make the choice. I want you to put your arms outstretched to the Lord. Not close in a fist, but outstretched towards God to say, everything I have. Everything I am, you are first. And right now, what I want you to do to the Lord is I want you to begin to tell him what needs to no longer be first in your life and verbalize it. Say, God, you are first over my family. You are first over my job. Whatever it is, could be finances, could be health, whatever those areas are that you have set, that you have put before God with your arms outstretched, tell him right now that he is first. Lord, I thank you, God, 
that following you, sacrificing all for you, is the best decision we could ever make. And Lord, we do so with joy, believing that your arms are outstretched towards us, believing that your mercy endures forever, believing, God, that you are a good father who is worth our giving our all. You are not a tyrant. You are not a cruel father, but you are a loving father whose arms are outstretched towards us. And Lord, if there's people in this room who have a skewed view of you, who do not have that vision of you with your arms outstretched towards us, Lord, I pray that right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would change that perspective. You would give them a vision of the love of God so that we can love you back because you loved us first. And Lord, we believe that when we outstretch our lives towards you, when we make you first, God, that we will see blessing. We will see transformation in our hearts, transformation in our relationships. The very things that we desire will take place because we put you first. What a great deal that is. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good. I thank you that you are patient, that you are loving, that you are kind, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Lord, I thank you that my actions can never change who you are and can never change how you love me. But my actions can affect the life I live right now. You are so good. We have prayer teams up in the front. If 